0: It's cool to think that we have apostles, we have saints from the Middle Ages, we have modern saints, we have relics from saints in America, Europe, Africa, and then we get the wood of the true cross. To round it out with the Blessed Virgin Mary. how incredible, it's beautiful.
1: Dang time. Dang it,
0: Mike. Go on. <laughs> threw Go off, off my, my groove. groove.
1: Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Bulletin, the official podcast of St. Anthony of Padua. My name is Nate Hoffman. I am the communications and development coordinator here at St. Anthony, and today I am joined by a fourth class relic, Michael Gormley. Actually it's a no-class
0: relic. Yeah. That's what <laughs> my that's what my mom tells all of her friends. Is that right? Oh, yeah. that's dumb. That's devastating. Yeah. I, it really is. Ever <laughs> since I was a kid, he's like, he's a no-class relic of a bygone era. I didn't know your mother grew up in the Bronx. Inner city Philadelphia.
1: Uh, yeah, wow, well, okay. Yeah. Oh, is that Here's right? Her?
0: Yeah. So the funniest thing about my mom, when I went to Francisca... So if you're a transplant from the New York, Philadelphia area, and you go south or you go to the Midwest, Oklahoma, where I was raised, uh, you never forget your roots and you are kind of antagonistic towards the south even though it's a much better place to live so whenever my parents encounter anyone from up north or back east they use both terms it is uh it's like oh thank god right (laughs) and so when i went to franciscan i my mom was like so what did you do she flew up and helped me get situated in the dorm you know the thing and uh and the night before she left we went out for dinner and she said so what did you do on campus today i said well they had to meet the friars And so I met all the Franciscan friars that are there. And I said, this one guy who was serving ice cream, his name is uh, Father Dom um, for Dominic. And he's from the Bronx. Without skipping a beat, my mom goes, did you tell him we're from Philly? (laughs) And I was like, what? Did you you tell him we're from Philly? Why wouldn't you tell him that? I'm like, I don't know, because I was getting ice cream. And Philadelphia has nothing to do with the Bronx. You're not from Philly, are you? No, no, no. I was born in Oklahoma. They had moved. But they wanted you oil, to tell oil, yeah.
1: this Bronx guy that the, your parents yeah. grew up in Philly. I said,
0: no, mom. In fact, I, didn't, I did not tell them that my mommy is from <laughs> Philadelphia <laughs> is from and moved there 25 years the ago.
1: The more stories I hear about your mom, she sounds like a, a caricature of a Jewish uh, mother, you know, like John Stewart's mom or something like that.
0: Yes, that is her. Oh. She's actually John Stewart's mom. Oh, wow. And I'm John Stewart. Plot wow, twist. Wow, you didn't know wow. that. No, it, it is funny. It is funny because when I was growing up, I always thought we were Italian. Because my dad talked like Tony Danza from Who's the Boss, and I—that was all I had to go on. And it wasn't until I was in eighth grade that I found out. I'm not no, just th- Irish and Scottish. I'm <laughs> not Italian.
1: I've been telling all my friends. Uh, well, hold me closer, Tony Danza. I will. We've got a major, big announcement that you Woo! might have already heard. Here it is, folks. So, I'm Mike. I'm excited. Yes. You, s- you remember a while ago you were announcing relics I, constantly I have, uh, for I weeks? Have a,
0: I have a reoccurring nightmare that for uh, 26 weeks in a row we <laughs> recorded videos with 30 minutes notice, yes. So a lot of folks,
1: I think about this a lot. A lot of folks during their quarantine, they got through with, you know, binge-watching, you know, The Last Dance with Michael Jordan or, or like, Mm -hmm. getting really into chess or something. But the folks at St. Anthony's just binge-watched Michael Gormley. Just did same video after same video after same video. Yeah,
0: and I think they have chosen the better part. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, all of you know uh, St. Anthony's has been gifted with uh, 27 relics, uh, I think 19 new relics yeah. that are coming to Saint Anthony of Padua. They're going to be held in the the. Our they're Lady not Angel. here yet. No, they're not here yet. Don't come to see these relics. We have <laughs> had many
0: people come to see the beautiful relics. They're coming
1: uh, when we when we finish the chapel. They will they will be there. They'll be in a beautiful nave. You'll see images of that. I and, can't uh, wait. Very soon. I
0: can't wait. Um, TBD.
1: But folks, we, we we announced these relics. We we kind of culminated with the wood of the cross. Yeah, and probably the top relic in the world. Totally. Um, And that was it. But we recently heard in the last uh, month or two uh, that there will be an additional relic, one that I didn't even know was uh, a a possible relic, but it is Mm -hmm. a thread of the veil of the Blessed Virgin Mary.
0: Thread of the veil. A thread of the veil of the Blessed
1: Virgin Mary. So a second-class relic of Mary herself, the mother of God.
0: Yeah. Coming to St. Anthony's. No first-class relic because, of course, her body was assumed into heaven, so there's no first-class relics no. of Mary So this anywhere. is the best type of relic. This is the get. best type. This is as close as we can get. Yeah, the... Um the veil goes all the way back to uh, a very clear 5th century tradition uh, from St. Jerome to the Pope. St. Jerome was in Bethlehem, all this great stuff. We'll, we'll get into that story here in a little bit if you haven't, if you haven't watched the video. But, um, yeah, and it's incredible that we're having this thing. That the only real thing that we have from Our Lady is this beautiful um, relic of the veil. And it's kept, uh, I believe it's kept in Rome in a reliquary there. And only under special circumstances do they remove a single thread at a time and send it to churches. And so we're going to be one of the few churches that are blessed with with this uh, relic. I think it's awesome.
1: Yeah, no no more fitting relic for Our Lady of the Angels to um, base... It feels like it's completing the reliquary in some yep. ways. I mean, who knows? In the future, there might be a saint or two that we end up um, adding to that reliquary,
0: but... It's, it's cool to think that we have apostles. We have saints from the Middle Ages. We have modern saints. We have relics from saints in America, Europe, Africa... You know, we have these great names, church fathers, you know, all this different stuff. And, uh, and then we get the wood of the true cross, how incredible it's beautiful. You know, it's a splinter, but that's what, (laughs) but it's cool. Um, To round it out with the Blessed Virgin Mary, I think the one—can I tell you what I what I would love? Yeah, I would love like Christmas list. Yeah, my Christmas list of relics, (laughs) a second class relic of Saint Joseph from like his carpenter square. I don't think that exists at all, but I think that would be very cool. As a woodworker who has never sold a single item he's made, that would be that would be cool. That'd be amateur woodworker. I mean, semi professional even. Semi. I'll go with that. I'll go with that.
1: Yeah I actually I think there might be uh, in a similar place to where Mary's veil is there's a uh, some a similar tradition. To, like a uh,
0: smock of St. Joseph. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his left sock or something like that. Um,
1: yeah, that would be cool. But yeah, Mary. Mary, the, in the story, if you've probably seen Mike's video, I, I want to recap this story, uh, the, the tradition yeah. um, of how this came down to us. Um, not to St. Anthony's. I mean, that's a longer story, I suppose. But just that initially, all right, mm-hmm. set the scene. We're, we're, uh, we're in Jerusalem. Um, John has been living with Mary ever since Jesus died. Uh, Gave to him to her as his mother. Um, yeah, In
0: John 19. He said to uh, the disciple whom he loved, which is John, the author of the book. Can you imagine giving writing a book and being like, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say John. No, you know what? Scratch <laughs> that. Every time Jesus <laughs> gives me uh, calls on me, he's gonna say the disciple whom he loved. And he said, uh, Behold your mother, and to Mary, behold your son. And from that day, scripture records that the disciple took Mary into his house. So. We know from the historical record that John ventured out into Ephesus. Um, eventually, uh, as tradition goes, he's the same John identified in the Book of Revelation, John the Seer, um, same John, John the Elder, identified with the three letters of John. They're very Johannine, so you just say that it's John. Um, probably imprisoned on the island of Patmos for his for his faith. Um, but well before that time, Mary lived with him. Uh, there there was a house that historically they say is the best evidence possible for Mary living I- with John in Ephesus. There's a whole house of Mary thing. Um, but then the tradition holds that she journeyed with the rest of the living apostles back to Jerusalem. They all met in Jerusalem, let me put it that way. Because they before. were
1: out doing their thing. Yeah. I mean, Thomas had ventured to India. Folks were going down to Africa. All over the world, yeah. apostles had, had ventured out. People forget this. After.
0: Yeah, the, the church was... A global religion before the death of the last apostle. Asia Minor, Europe, Africa, Ethiopia. Ethiopia, so when you say Africa in the ancient world, there's the Mediterranean Africa, similar to today where most North Africans are Arab. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Morocco, Tunisia, all those places. uh, They're heavily Arabic in their population. But beforehand, they were Egyptian. I was the main Coptic Egyptian. But they were also heavily European. Um, Sardinian, um, what do you call the, uh, S- Sicilian, all of these island nations that were sea powers established colonies throughout the North Africa. So when the, when ancient documents reference Africa, they might reference various European parts of Africa, but when they reference Ethiopia, right, that's when they reference black Africa. In South Africa. Yeah. Um, southern Africa. So no. more southern than the Sahara, sub-Saharan, yes. I think. Sub-Saharan is. Africa yeah. is what we say today, but Ethiopia. So when you hear about Ethiopian converts, there's a whole church called the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. Um, Thomas going uh, with the tradition, saying he went all the way to India. Um, you know the the death uh, within a hundred years. I didn't know this. By the end of the second century, Christianity had already encountered and had begun dialoguing, arguing, apologetics, defense with Buddhism. Right? It had already gone that far east that it began encountering this. So we forget because of the Muslim invasion and the conquering of the Horn of Africa up into Spain and all the way over into Western Europe that Christianity was a global religion. It wasn't just a European thing. It became a European thing more or less when it got cut off from, uh, from the rest of the world because of Islam. But I say this because the apostles took the message to the ends of the earth as far as they could go right and there is this beautiful moment that my guess would be before they journey before thomas went to india Mm -hmm. before they they finished they all were there with mary
1: they got together one last time
0: yeah they got the band back (laughs) together and i would say there's a lot of truth to this because you have someone like saint luke right author of the third gospel um he's a greek so he's a convert he's not a jew so early christianity was jewish christianity And where did he get a lot of his sources, especially Matthew and Luke? Where did they get their sources of the infancy of Jesus?
1: Well, Luke has that line in in the infancy narratives. Mary took these things and pondered on them in In her heart. heart." Yeah. Why would Luke have written that if he didn't talk to Mary?
0: Right, right. And there are a lot of clues about, you know, you have the exact words that Mary and Joseph said and responding to the angel and all Uh, this stuff.
1: Joseph famously silent through scriptures. Oh,
0: good point. A man, a good words. point. Good point. Um, but you have the words of of Mary in these things. Like, where where would this have come from? Well, one made it up, or two, you actually go to the source. And Luke, uh, more than them, more than all the rest, Luke goes to such great lengths uh, to make sure that women have a voice in his gospel. Mm-hmm. Luke is also called the the gospel of outcasts, right? Because women, you know, held very little status in the Roman Empire, and yet. In Luke's gospel, they figure profoundly, Elizabeth, Mary, et cetera. So I just say this because Luke is a convert, a Greek Christian, which means he has to come after the first wave of 10, 15 years of Christianity so he's now here, and he's he's encountering Mary. So where would he have encountered Mary? Maybe up in Ephesus, maybe in, in the journeys throughout from Ephesus down to Jerusalem. Um, but the this notion, it's not so far-fetched to think. Because a lot of people hear these relic stories, especially from the first century, and they're like, but is it really an apostle? Is it really the true cross? And with the true cross, we're able to spell some of the myths. Like, if you would take it, it would be bigger than a battleship or whatever. It's not true. Um, but with Mary's veil, I just think it's... It's not completely absurd to think that she did travel to Jerusalem, number one. Most Jews made pilgrimage to Jerusalem. But number two, it would make sense that before they all left, maybe on their final mission to the ends of the earth, that they went to say their goodbyes to Mary. And so the tradition holds that they were gathered there with her, all except Thomas.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Thomas, uh, according to this tradition, was late. Not that he was doubting that like Mary was dying, but that, that would be funny if it was like he, he got the call and, and he was like, oh, I doubt it. And then <laughs> <laughs> and
0: there's like a bit of <laughs> like, yeah. Let's see uh, if I can squeeze in a quick coffee before <laughs> I get there. <laughs> so, yeah, all 11 yeah. Um, apostles. Well, contained. no, no, no. See, that's why I made, see, I made a subtle change when I recorded all the video. The I said all the apostles, well, those who were still alive, because some of them started dying pretty quickly. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, so James, who writes the epistle of James, the James, the brother of the Lord, is not the James who's the brother of John. So he dies pretty quickly in, in the Book of Acts. And now, obviously, we don't have any information about Mary's death in the Book of Acts, um, and her last uh, major scene is basically Pentecost. Yeah. So um, within that context, uh, probably... There was a handful of apostles. The hope would be that they were all there because, I mean, I guess you could say in theory, John goes up to Ephesus and then immediately comes back, more or less immediately comes back because James dies pretty quickly. That's um, interesting.
1: Yeah. So they're all back, and and according to this tradition, Mary enters her dormition.
0: She goes to sleep. Dormition in Latin meaning sleep.
1: Sleep, yeah. So you might shed some light on this, Mike, but the church maintains that Mary didn't suffer a physical death. Um, So
0: it's really hard to describe this because the church hasn't defined the exact moment of her death dogmatically. Mm -hmm. So the church has defined, one, her immaculate conception, and then, two, her glorious assumption, um, which we talk about in the video. But in the context of what happened to Mary, we know a couple things. We know, one, that she shared our fallen nature preserved from sin. Right. So Jesus, when he took on our human nature, it was a nature in a fallen state. And so that's why the letter of Hebrews says he was uh, tempted like us us, but without sin, right? So all of these things are very important when you think about the big question of Mary. There are some who hold that Mary never entered into even dormition, that she was consciously awake and ascended into heaven. Hmm. Um, But the the oldest tradition is what we call the dormition, the going to sleep, that death was for someone who is free from original sin, because we know the wages of sin is death. That natural things naturally wind down, the law of entropy, right? All things die. They go from a state of order to a state of chaos, right? And so for the human body, human bodies are going to die. But for unfallen, untainted by sin, we have these gifts. So the church holds that when Adam and Eve were created, they had such supernatural life woven into their natural life that it actually led to what we call the preternatural gifts, Somewhere in the back of my mind, there's a comic book series about someone who has preternatural gifts. I'd read that. Yeah, same here. It's terrible. But uh, I'm like, how could superpowers be a real thing? (gasps) Preternatural preternatural gifts. But So the idea was the union of the spiritual, the supernatural with the natural, um, actually creates the preternatural, which leads to things like a lack of suffering, a lack of... um, death and decay there's no corruption with mary so in the eastern traditions which go back to the dormition of mary that's what they call it of the eastern traditions want to understand that sin is a result of separation and corruption right sin comes from this ripping of our union with god so if mary never had that the wages of sin is death saint paul says mary never had she never had to pay those wages basically now i i don't know a lot so this is very hard for me to admit publicly
1: wow you don't Uh, know something
0: about this the, about this one thing. <laughs> but so, no, so scholars would say that for her, like C.S. Lewis would talk about, like, for them, just like sleep in a pre-fallen state would have been intentional. Right? You ever lay down you just yeah, toss it and turning. I am in. sleeping now, yes. Right. Imagine that. Imagine just being like, I'm going to bed. And you go to sleep. Um, that something like that was akin to Mary. And she goes into this, that's what they just call a dormition. You know, St. Paul says, talks about Christians who are dead as those who are asleep. Yeah. Right. 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 So for us, death means something different than it did to the pagan world. Wow.
1: So you can picture Mary going into something like this uh, sleep or death. (laughs) A comatose state? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how (laughs) we describe it. Uh, In such a way that the apostles think, okay, apostles and her you know, her friends and, and yeah. the rest of the disciples say, okay, Mary's dead, we need to we need to bury her. So they put her away in in, uh, in her tomb, and then Thomas comes, a day late and a dollar short, as usual. <laughs> um, hey, guys, I'm here. <laughs>
0: I came here to have fun. So he's like, where's Mary?
1: I want to see our mom." And uh, they're like, we got some bad news, you know. And um, so Thomas asks, can I see her body? And they say, okay, sure. And they roll away the stone, and in a very similar way, Similar, but not the same to what uh, the rolling away the stone of Jesus' tomb, her body is not there. It's in place of her body is uh, roses, according to this tradition. So in, in all, a lot of Marian images, statues, you'll see roses everywhere. Um, could have started here. But um, all that's left is uh, a veil, um, according to this tradition. And, mm. and we have a thread of that veil. A uh, thread today. of the veil. Mm-hmm.
0: I love that. Um, the Church of the Dormition of Mary is located right near the Garden of Gethsemane. And I love that idea because it connects. You could tell that. Everything having to do with Mary safeguards and upholds what we believe about Jesus. Catechism says that whenever it talks about Mary and the Marian dogmas. And we always need to have that. Like when I teach Protestants about Mary, a lot of them are very apprehensive. They think that Mary's in competition with Jesus. I always tell them the two things, which is one, uh, an artist is never dishonored when you honor or praise his artwork, right? So to praise Mary is to glorify God, right? Because she, you know, she would be a miserable sinner were it not for the grace of God. And the other thing I tell people is, it's not just about the honor that we give to Mary, um, but the other thing is all of that which is worth honor, all that is honorable within her, right, is reflected glory, right? So Mary is like the moon. She's not the sun. She's not a competing sun, like uh, we're on Tatooine or something, right? There's not two suns, as a Star Wars reference. There's not two suns. Uh, up there, it's just Jesus. He's the light. He's the Son of Righteousness. Mary just happens to be the moon, that which reflects the light the most perfect, because she was sinless, and so of course her soul magnifies the greatness of the Lord.
1: Yeah, so we just celebrated this feast day uh, last week. Uh, Immaculate Conception is the yeah. feast, essentially of Jesus saving Mary before her. Birth. Yeah, yeah before her fall so yeah. uh, in the same way that we're we're saved um, I guess at baptism would we mm-hmm. would we say yeah. um, did Mary need to be baptized no interesting yeah so so instead of waiting for um, Mary to be tainted by the fall and and, and um, original sin Jesus saved Mary before the uh, her conception or at the moment of her conception or whatever but that's the immaculate conception that's what we celebrate not jesus's birth um not jesus saving mary after she was born or anything like that but um that's it so uh, and i I know that's a big misconception Uh, yeah it's it's hard to keep it all straight i guess it
0: was really funny um i heard a priest who's a convert and he said before i go any further let me clarify what today's feast day is we are not celebrating the conception of jesus It's December 8th, and the 25th is too short a time. We are celebrating the conception of Mary conceived without sin. It's a Marian feast day. It's not a Jesus feast day, but everyone thinks the Immaculate Conception means when Mary conceived within her womb by Mm -hmm. the power of the Holy Spirit. He's like, No, that's why we celebrate Mary's birthday in September, nine months later. That makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, Yeah,
1: math, you know. Women are fascinating. The whole idea of uh, it always takes nine months for babies to be born. I think about this all the time, and when I've had like two drinks, I always bring it up at bars. <laughs> always, how come they always take nine months? I always like tell someone tell me. It's so fascinating.
0: So when you give, can I just can we go on this tangent real quick? Sure. Can we do this awkward tangent? Yeah, there there's an arms race between a woman's pelvis and a baby's head. Oh, yes, 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 an evolutionary arms race. I've heard this because. Yeah. Uh, so partly because are so brains are so huge. Are, yes, human has so much bigger this, brains with, than... Uh, within three hours, a, a newborn baby uh, of almost every mammal... Giraffes, they're born standing up. They're walking yeah, off. They, they're, they they can run. They can leap. A, a new doe can do all that. We're utterly defenseless, Until right? we're 29, At which least, I'm turning I next, next to the item. There. Also, we're, there's a new ministry we're starting in the church. It's called Adopta Millennial. We're inviting uh, boomers who have money to sponsor teach, millennials. Teach me how to patch holes in my drywall, please. <laughs> What is this oil changing? My dashboard keeps telling me about. <laughs> That'd be great. No, but so that—that's the whole thing. Is uh, nine months is the longest a baby can uh, can cook in the oven without uh, shredding the interior of the mother because the baby's heads are so big. That is fascinating. Thank you. I don't con- get to talk about pregnancy all that this much. This is the content <laughs> our people are asking for. Okay, mm.
1: so. Uh, another Marian feast day we just recently celebrated was uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe on the 12th last nice. weekend. We didn't celebrate it liturgically
0: this year. We got we snuck in a collect prayer. Oh, great! You great! You can great, have great. a couple things, but yeah. as you all know, the the feast day, or excuse me, not the feast day, the solemnity of Advent trumps any other day, feast, whatever. So unfortunately. Our Lady of Guadalupe, December twelfth, fell on a Sunday, so yeah. Advent wins. The but it's Sunday a
1: it's a beautiful Marian season, and to, it to cap it off with this 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 news that that Mary is coming in a way to Saint Anthony of Padua, I, I can't wait. The Our Lady of the Angels Chapel, you know, is is on the horizon. Uh, <laughs> See what I did there, Mike. I did the um, Horizon Capital campaign. Yeah, still yeah. available for donations. But uh, yeah, you if you go behind the church right now, you can see that we've made a ton of progress on that church, on yeah. that chapel. Um, it's fully basically enclosed. I mean, they still got to put up stone and, and brick and everything, and yeah. And then the interior work begins, and I'm told uh, by architects that that's the long, slow, boring part. Uh, like it's been a lot of excitement the last uh, month and a half because it basically went from. You know, nothing. Slabbed elevated. a frame. Yes. Yeah. And then and now they're going to, you know, put in electrical wiring. and, and Yeah. You know, Father
0: like David, since he just came from St. Vincent de Paul, where they completed a building project, he said this is actually the hardest part for parishioners because they can't go in, but the outside looks almost done. And so they, it feels like any day now they can go in and check it out. But the inside is, you know, they're they're putting in plumbing and electrical yeah. and all this. So the inside is nowhere near done. But everyone feels like, oh, next week, surely, yeah, you know. Yeah. And it's like actually, it's three months from now, and you're like,
1: ah, yeah. So it'll be some time. But I've I've been back there. I've walked around the the, the little space, the nave, where we're gonna have these relics is. Um, It's going to be perfect for Mm. quiet prayer. I always picture, um, you know, someone going in and and hoping to pray for some intention. Uh, Maybe they're sad. Maybe they're excited about a thing. Um, And... Now they get to pray with others, even if they're alone. So they have all these saints, um, and you know the wood of the True Cross, and now Mary with them in a sense, and and, and all together praying, uh, praying to to God and to, and to heaven. So um, I love that image, and I I can't wait for our parishioners to be able to pray with these relics and these saints, um, and Mary herself in, yeah. in person. So I would say,
0: you know, we we were talking a little bit beforehand. And you said, how do we pray with relics? Like, what does that look like? Um, you know, we have a relic of St. Anthony of Padua. We've had about six relics for years here. St. Anthony, St. Bonaventure, Thomas Aquinas. I'm trying to remember the rest. I think rest Elizabeth is here. St. Elizabeth Ann Seton? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, St. Teresa of the Zoo that we mislabeled as Teresa of Avila for about 10 years. Whoopsie. Um, and there was one other one that I can't remember. But we've had these relics, and people often don't know what to do with them, and It's funny because when Father Carlos reached out to Jerry and then through Jerry to um, the church to see if we would get these relics, his first question was, where are you going to put them? Because what a lot of places do when it comes to the relics is they kind of put them in a glass case, usually put them in a sanctuary or in a narthex, but he didn't want that. He didn't want hundreds of relics to come to us uh, because for the exact same problem because it becomes difficult to venerate them. Right? So he wanted to know that we would build a space dedicated to the veneration of these relics, of these people who were marked by the sign of faith. And so one of the um, interesting things when we were coming up with this is you need to add security, thick security, glass, and all that stuff, but also make it a place of veneration. So we're going to have pew kneelers. You're going to be able to see the relics. But in terms of praying, coming into the chapel when mass is not going on, number one, that's ideal, Why? Because the Eucharist is more important than every relic we have in that place. Jesus is the most important. They're important because Jesus is important. But when Mass isn't going on, you go over to the relics and you kneel down. So, for instance, um, I had a lot of parents that came to our return series, and a lot of them really desperately want their adult children to come back to the Catholic faith. And I can't think of a better patron to woo them back, uh, to to intercede for them, than St. Anthony of Padua. What is he the patron known for what the most Yeah lost, of lo- lost things. Yeah, lost things. And my, my child is lost and needs to come home. Needs God in his or her life. And so um being able to go and in quiet prayer, say the name of your loved ones who are far from God ask St Anthony to take up the cause, right? To intercede for them before the throne of Christ and to pray with them as a fellow bro- older brother in Christ mm-hmm. who gets to gaze upon Jesus in the fle- you know, in the flesh, yeah, because Christ is Christ is risen. So this whole notion of having the relics means the communion of saints becomes a lot more tangible. And that's what we want. We don't just want to have a, like a trophy case. Some places it kind of looks like that. Like this is a trophy case. It's like, "No, this is these are our brothers and sisters. This is a literal piece of them, or in the case of you know the true cross or you know Mary's veil. It's a piece of something that they had in their daily lives or, or whatever. This brings to mind that they're in heaven gazing upon the face of Jesus right now. and yet they still are intercessors for us here below. right Their mission hasn't stopped, right? I love that.
1: So the, especially appropriate to be in the chapel because while mass is going on, we are in a sense like being elevated to yeah. closer to the beatific vision. Right. And they are already experienced in the beatific vision, but they'll be made represented here in yeah. those relics. So I think that's, that's cool to think about that we're praying in the, in the mass w- with heaven and, yeah. and the heaven is coming down in, in the liturgy. And then also here in those, those relics. The
0: cool thing is every liturgy is a participation in the heavenly liturgy, every liturgy that we do, every earthly liturgy. And so We, I I always remind people, in fact, my wife did that recently, that when we receive Holy Communion, um, we are in communion with everyone gazing in the beatific vision of Christ right now. So all of our loved ones who have gone before us marked by faith, they're enjoying the beatific vision. And when I receive Holy Communion, when I receive the God of the universe into me, right, I'm in communion with him. And because of that, I'm in communion with everyone he's in communion with. I am closer to my, you know, deceased grandmother at no other time than when i'm receiving holy communion don't go to mediums don't go to psychics don't do weird stuff like that that is mortally sinful don't do that stuff go to church go and pray pray to the god that they are gazing upon and if you don't maybe if they weren't so nice maybe pray for the soul in purgatory right that's right
1: So this is awesome, guys. We're getting a, a relic. I,
0: One of the most... I like what you put in our notes. One of the most treasured relics in Christendom by both East and West. Yes. Mike, you said
1: Jerry's name earlier, but I do want to shout out Jerry and uh, Gene Treziak for uh, enabling all these relics. They, they All the hard work. All the hard work. Amazing. All the prayer. So, uh, yeah, big thank you to them. It yeah. was
0: amazing. Every week he would come into my office with, like, five new relics. Like... Brother, you're not going to believe what we got now, brother. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Brother. It kind of broke my brain. Like, we were talking right in the beginning. For eight months, I we see, I think sometimes because of people like you and Jay, we look like we have our stuff together. But really, a lot of these video recordings, we're hanging on by a thread. It's true. It's true. We're getting things just in on time yeah. in order to keep this stuff going. So, literally, I would walk over to the youth room which is where we did all the filming for the relic videos 30 minutes before we'd hit record and Jay would hand the bio to me and I'd read through it real quick, hide it out of camera, try to remember as we go and then try to tell the story. And then at the end I would do a catechetical application off the cuff. And as I would do it every so often, I'm like, Oh oh no, I think I've already said that. I think I've already said that before. So uh, just trying to apply the life lessons, but all this stuff for, for months, Laying out these relics, the videos, the drawings, all of that all came from the faithfulness of Jerry and Jean and their relationship with Father Carlos and uh, the beautiful relics. I, I just can't believe nothing could adorn our sanctuary, our or new Our Lady of the Angels Chapel, in a more resplendent way than the faith of those who enter there. Yeah. you know. Yeah.
1: So we are blessed. So thanks, Mike, for joining. We will be back one more time before Christmas, which is coming soon. You have how many shopping days left? Yikes. Doesn't matter. That's not what it's about. Trick question.
0: <laughs> but seriously, you only got like <laughs> seriously. Get on 10 it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Your mother-in-law needs that. Uh, <laughs> those mittens are ready. <laughs> um, all right. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. Hey, did you know
0: that the title of my last album was called Mother-in-Law Mittens?